The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Activities are happening. What's behind all? I was recently reminded about the capacity children have to dream. You know, they have this, they, there's almost no limits to what they can imagine or can expect and can wonder about in, in their life. And it is really a beautiful thing to see, especially in a season like this. And an example of that uh, just recently happened to me, even just yesterday morning, I took uh, our older two out on our weekly donut run. And what that entails is I, I, we get in the car, we uh, go through Starbucks, and they each get a donut and by they each get, what that means I actually buy one and split it and give each of them half. So they have not, they're not old enough to realize how cheap I actually am. Okay, so <laughs> we could just keep that between us. That'd be great. Um, and so they each get half a donut and we just kind of circle around. That actually started to just give mama some quiet time back at home. And it's kind of turned into our weekly tradition. And so as we were driving around, uh, we were just talking. We got into this conversation about that uh, Rebecca and I have talked about, like maybe one day, you know, uh, we each take one of them on a, on a trip and they have like a special trip maybe when they're a little older, you know. And so um, somehow we got into that conversation with the kids. And so I asked the two kids, this, my six-year-old daughter, my four-year-old son, I said, okay, if one day mama was going to take you on a special trip, you know, and you could go anywhere, where would you go? And so my six-year-old, she really without like even blinking, she says, I would want mama to take me to New York City. I'm like, all right, that's a good one, you know, and, and mama would be happy about that. She loves New York City, so that, that would be a good one. So I turned to my four-year-old, like, all right, buddy, what about you? Where would you want to go? And he thinks for a second. He says, hmm, if I could go anywhere, I know. I would want mama to take me to planet Neptune. <laughs> well, that's a little outside the price range, buddy, okay? So um, I was not expecting that. I was hoping for, like, driving distance, okay, but... That's a little broader than I was thinking. And it just reminded me, like, in his mind, it's like, Dad, you said anywhere. So, I mean, if I want, I want to go to Neptune. Like, that's where I want to go. And so um, that was what was in his mind. Now, see, we as adults, we don't think, like, that grand, that big. You know, we don't dream to that extent. Why? And the reason we say is because in our minds, we were anchored to, re to reality. So I know that... Going to Neptune, most likely not an option for him, you know, when in his life, okay? Because why? I say, well, I'm, I'm anchored to reality. So my, my view of reality is like this, so my, uh, over my lifetime, so then my, my dreams only go to that degree. But what's interesting is that the Bible challenges us, and God challenges us to actually believe like children, to have a belief like a child. And so, well, how do we square that with reality? Well, I wonder if sometimes the problem is our grasp and view of reality is too narrow. And so I wonder if we could just expand what we understand about reality, our dreams could grow to match to such a degree that they could only be described as childlike. I want you to see what I'm talking about. We're looking in Isaiah chapter 11. If you have a Bible or Bible app, um, go ahead and open up to Isaiah uh, chapter 11. We're going to be looking at, uh, starting in verse 6, 
Um, if you're joining us online, go ahead and uh, open up a Bible or Bible app to Isaiah chapter 11. As you're turning there, let me give you the background of what's happening here as we've been talking about the last couple weeks. This is a really, really dark time for God's people. Their enemies are crowding in. Um, they're, this is about 700 years before the time of Jesus. Their enemies are crowding in, enemy nations. Their king is extremely wicked. He's led them away from God. One of the most wicked kings that has, that has ever sat on the throne. He's a descendant of David like 13 generations later. So he's still in, within that famous dynasty from King David. But he is unbelievably wicked. And so as, as he's led them away spiritually, things have just gone just downhill within their kingdom. And in the midst of this, what seems like a hopeless moment, a really, what have, would have been such incredible news comes from God. And it comes through God's prophet Isaiah. And he comes to his people and he says this. He says, there will be a king, another king that will rise up. And he goes on to describe this king and really how he describes him, it's like the perfect king. He says he will be miraculously gifted by God to always know what's the right thing to do. Not only will he know what's the right thing to do, he'll actually have the power to accomplish it. And he'll actually have the will and the discipline to do it. On top of that, this king will uphold justice. He will lift up those that are powerless in his kingdom, and he will hold accountable the wicked. He will not tolerate corruption or crookedness. He's describing this perfect king. And he uses this metaphor in describing this king, which is not an uncommon metaphor for this promised king in other parts of the Old Testament. He calls him the branch. And he basically describes it like this. He says, if the, the dynasty from David was a family tree, he says, the tree's going to get cut down. There's just going to be a dead stump there. And he says, and out of this dead stump will grow a shoot, a sprout, a branch, which would be a miracle. From, a, from death comes life. This, this living branch will come out, and this will be a new king in the line of David. And he says, so this branch is going to come, and this is the type of king, the perfect king, this branch, he calls him, will be. Now, he's been talking about how this king, what this king will be like, but then he goes on to talking about what his kingdom will be like. What would it be like to live in the kingdom where this king reigned. Look at how he describes this kingdom. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. Here's what he says. <clears throat> the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Now I want you to look at this description. You have all of these basically predator and prey that are dwelling in harmony, right? You see that? You've got like leopards and lions and bears and venomous serpents. And on the other hand, you have lambs and a baby goat and a calf and a cow. 
you have predator and prey, and they're living in harmony together. That is what is described. That's the, that is the type of kingdom this king will have. So I, I want you to, to imagine it like this. Have you ever heard the phrase, the lion will lay down with the lamb? Have you heard that phrase before? That is a phrase that comes from the Bible, but that, the, that never appears with that exact wording in the Bible. That's because that phrase is a summary of this chapter that we just read. That phrase, the lion shall lay down with the lamb, that comes from this right here. And it's like shorthand for this section. So it literally says the, the lion and the wolf will be together. The, the, I mean, the, the wolf and the lamb will be together, the lion and the calf. But it, you can effectively shorten it to the lion and the lamb will lay down together. So this is where this passage comes from. And it's describing this, this thriving in this kingdom. And there's this Old Testament Hebrew word. It's all through the Old Testament that is very rich with meaning. It's still used uh, in that part of the world today. It's the word, the Hebrew word shalom. We translate it as peace. But it means so much more than just what we mean by peace. It means every sector of someone's life or society is at rest as it should be and thriving. So what kind of kingdom will this king have? Well, it says that it will be, it'll be so much at, in harmony that every sector, whether it's spiritually, socially, systemically, whether it's families or economies or um, whatever it might be, everything is at rest and thriving. That's the type of peace. That's the type of shalom. That's the type of kingdom this king will have. Now, one of um, the imagery in this passage is about children. Did you see that a couple times in there about children? Two different times. The first time it talks about these predator and prey, it says a little child will lead them. Did you see that? The second time, it talks about two different types of young children. It talks about a nursing child, and it talks about a toddler, basically a weaned child. So I'm, this is something that Rebecca and I are, um, it, we have in our home right now. We have a, a, our little baby Hope is eight months old today, and she, her big accomplishment recently, the last two weeks, she started to scoot. So she's not yet crawling. She's doing that like inchworm thing, you know, across the floor. So she sees something on the other side of the room and she just starts scooting as fast as she can. And when she gets there, whatever that object is, you know exactly what she's going to immediately do with that. She's going to take it and put it in her mouth, okay? So what that means is she's become mobile. And so basically, from my perspective, the next year is pretty much utter terror and panic on my part, okay? I will be constantly, whether she's uh, scooting, crawling, or being a little toddler, stumbling around, I will be constantly like, where'd she go? What is she about? Is that a stick of dynamite she's about to grab? I mean, what is she about to go get? All right, because a very vulnerable stage. Okay, even when a toddler, like maybe you have a, a niece or a nephew or a grandchild or a child who's a toddler, I want you to picture that little toddler while they're first starting to walk and they're kind of going around. They look like they're under the influence of something, okay? And they're like, they bump in over here and almost anything can topple them. Like they walk under a ceiling fan and that breeze could just knock them right over, okay? Very unstable. Well, look at the imagery here because it's it, 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 so graphic, it's gripping. 
It says a nursing child. So I want you to picture like a little baby that's just scooting across the floor looking for something to put in its mouth. It says a, a nursing child will play over the hole of a cobra. Can you just imagine you who babysit or watch your nieces or nephews or have kids or have grandkids, you're out in your backyard and you see a cobra dart into a hole and you watch your child scoot over and play over that hole? Can you think of anything just like, I can't, it's hard for me to even think about it, it's so terrifying, just to even think about it. It says a, a weaned child, so think a toddler, playing over the nest of vipers. Imagine a toddler just kind of walks over to like a, a, just a pile of rocks that you know just have, are full of venomous vipers and just starts playing with those rocks. Can you imagine? I mean, just what a terrible like, moment that would be. And it's using this description to talk about how thoroughly this king that will come will bring harmony and peace into his kingdom. So much even the venomous snakes have been tamed is the symbol, have been so tamed that parents are not even worried about their children playing around the, the den of a, a, a serpent. I mean, that is how thoroughly he is bringing peace. I mean, what must that be like? I mean, what kind of picture is the Bible painting here? Well, it's interesting. This is not just hyperbole. This is not just, yes, it's imagery, but it's not hyperbole. It's not just painting like a, an idealist, idealistic utopia. It's a promise from God. Man, what kind of good news must this have been for those people receiving this when uh, the nation they lived in was in such a dire place. Let's pick it up in verse 9. We're going to read verse 9, then we're going to pause there and, and finish out the chapter on Monday and Tuesday night. But let's look at verse 9. Here's what it says. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, here's what he says, in, his, in this perfect king's kingdom, in this king's kingdom, there will be no hurt. None of these predators, none, there will be no villains, there will be no evil, there will be no wicked that are allowed to prey on the vulnerable. All of that will be put away. In other words, all of the hurt, all of the wounds, all of the tears, he's going to put all of that away in his, in his kingdom. And then he says why. He says, how is he going to accomplish it? How is this king going to accomplish that? And he says, because this is what he's going to do to accomplish all of that. Because the knowledge of God has spread throughout the entire earth like the oceans cover the land. In other words, he is going to reconcile his people and the nations to God and that spiritual Shalom, that spiritual peace, that spiritual reconciliation will play out in the tangible kingdom, tangibly in the, in the social and systemic parts of their kingdom, bringing holistic thriving to every sector of that kingdom. Man, what an incredible, incredible promise. 
spiritual thriving, which brings social thriving, which brings systemic thriving. That's amazing. So who is this king? I mean, the branch. Who is this branch that's supposed to come? You know, this branch, that imagery of the shoot or the branch or a sprout being this king that will rise up, this branch is talked about in other parts of the Old Testament. I want to just show you one other place it's talked about. And this takes place 200 years after Isaiah. So this was promised and then 200 years. This is now 520 BC, so 500 years before the time of Jesus. Um, God's people have already, the Babylonians have come through, conquered them, taken them off to exile, and then they've come back, and they're rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls, the temple, rebuilding God's city, and they come back, and there's another prophet by the name of Zechariah. We actually spent time studying Zechariah in the beginning of this year, and um, there's one part that we didn't get a chance to get to that I want to draw your attention to. Um, Here's what happens. This is in Zechariah 6. I'm just going to read it to you. God tells the prophet Zechariah to go to the priest, but first he's supposed to go to some nobles that have just returned from Babylon and ask them for gold and silver. He's going to take their gold and silver and he's going to fashion a crown. He's going to have a crown made out of the gold and silver, like a king's crown. I want you to see what he's supposed to do with that. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 11. Let me read you these verses. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of, what's the name there? Set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the, what does it say? Branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal armor and sh- uh, royal honor, and shall sit on- and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Okay, what happens? This is 200 years after Isaiah 11. They've returned back to Jerusalem, and now there's another prophet there, Zechariah. God says, Zechariah, go get silver and gold, make a king's crown, and go put it on not the king. Well, that's interesting. Go put it on the high priest. Put it on his head. And we read it. What was the high priest's name? Joshua, the high priest of the day, his name was Joshua. Go put it on Joshua's head, and that's a symbol of what? The branch, this promised king, will be both a priest, a high priest, and a king. Those were typically separate offices. But this branch that you've been waiting for will be a priest and a king. What could that possibly mean? He's not only going to reign and bring shalom through his power and his reign, but he is the priest. He's going to reconcile his people to God. He's going to reconcile them spiritually and then he's going to reign effectively over this kingdom. So this branch, we learn something more. 200 years later, we learn a little more about this branch. He's not just a king in the line of David. He's going to be a high priest and a king. But there's something else in this text that is just, I think, unbelievable. Joshua, let's talk about this guy, Joshua. Joshua is a name you see a couple places in in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. This name, Joshua, originally the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. The name Joshua in ancient Hebrew, how it originally was written, is the name Yeshua. So you can see why we translate Yeshua into English as Joshua. 
Well, when that name is referenced in the New Testament, the New Testament's not written in ancient Hebrew. It's written in ancient Greek. Now, some of you are looking at me like I have not had enough coffee for this kind of conversation, okay? Just hang with me here, okay? Old Testament's written in ancient Hebrew. New Testament's written in ancient Greek. So when the New Testament is referring to Yeshua, they write it in Greek, which is Jesus. So then we translate, then the Greek, when we're translating it into our version English, we translate that name as Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, that's all the same name. So when Jesus' friends like, came knocking on the door you know, and were asking for him to come out and play baseball, all right, when they knocked on the door, they didn't speak English, we're pretty sure, right? You're maybe not sure. They didn't speak English. Okay, that was supposed to be a joke. They did not speak English. Um, they didn't speak Greek. The Bible was written in Greek, but they probably spoke Aramaic or Hebrew. And so when they came knocking on the door, they asked for Yeshua to come out and play. It's the same name. Okay, can we go back to this passage? Did you see what Zechariah said? He takes the crown, puts it on the high priest, and what did he say? He says, behold the man whose name is the branch. Do you see what this just revealed to us 500 years before Jesus was born? Well, it reveals God's like, let me just go ahead and tell you what the name of the branch is going to be. Watch for a Yeshua. 500 years later, there's a, a woman that hears from an angel that something pretty crazy is about to happen to her. Gabriel appears to Mary, and what does uh, the angel say, uh, Luke 1.30? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. You shall call his name Joshua. You shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you see this? 500 years earlier, the branch coming from the stump that is the dynasty of David, promising that there will be another Davidic king. And then we learn 200 years later in Zechariah, we learn his name. His name is Yeshua. And then uh, Mary finds out that she's going to be pregnant, and she's, it's commanded what she's to name her son. Mary and Joseph weren't looking through like a book of baby names as to what they should name him. God said, name him Yeshua. That, that is his name. And that was not just commanded to, to Mary, that was commanded to, to Joseph as well. Joseph finds out his fiance is pregnant and he knows it's not his. So he's pretty sure that the marriage is over even before it's even started. So he plans to divorce his, his wife, to break off the, the engagement. They're not married yet. They're gonna break off the engagement and one night he has a dream and an angel appears to him and he says, don't be afraid to marry this girl. He says that what is, what's happening to her is from God and then he says to Joseph, she will have a son and you shall call his name Yeshua. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What's the tie in there? Well, what does the name Yeshua mean? What does the name Jesus mean? It means God saves. That's what the name of your Savior means. 
That's what the name of the branch, the priest king, who reconciles people to God and reigns over his kingdom effectively. That's what this name means. This name Jesus means God saves. He is the branch and he will reign. And what does the branch do? He brings shalom. That's why one day some unsuspecting shepherds had the scare of their lives. They're in a field tending their flocks by night and all of a sudden the sky explodes with probably billions of angels. And as they're like can barely even open their eyes, it's so bright, they say glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Why? Because who's arrived? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace has arrived on the earth. He will reign and he will bring peace. Peace to us but there's a greater reality of the reign of this Prince of Peace. Let me read you what the Bible says. It's in Colossians chapter one. It's talking about Jesus. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and watch this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace By the blood of his cross. Do you know what the blood of his cross accomplished? It paid for your sins. It it, it reconciled you to God. It brought forgiveness, the possibility of forgiveness in your life. But you know what else? When he rose from the dead, he's the firstborn of all of creation. What does that mean? He's reconciling your soul. But he's reconciling all of creation back to God. His reign, this Jesus, whose name is above every name, it's his reign extends over every particle of the universe. That's the expanse of his reign. Can, can we just for a second imagine the extent of this reality? See, I wonder if the reason we dream small is because our reality is small, and I wonder if we expanded our reality to the reaches of the reign of our king of peace. Our dreams would expand to something that could only be described as childlike. Not because it's reckless, but because it's anchored in a greater reality. We talked about how this passage in Isaiah 11 references children, but did you notice the first time it referenced children? It said, it says a little child will lead them. You know, Jesus said something similar to that. His disciples were arguing about what it looks like to be like really great in his kingdom. And he pulls them together in this circle and he brings a child into their midst. And he actually takes the child up in his arms, picks him up. And he looks at these guys and he says, unless you become like this child, you don't really understand my kingdom. In other words, what it takes to operate in the kingdom of heaven that transcends all other kingdom, what it takes to operate under the reign of King Jesus, King Yeshua, the branch, is the faith of a child. Maybe it's because it's anchored in that level of reality. Christian, have you stopped dreaming? Have you stopped dreaming about what God can do in your life? 
Well, you say, maybe, you know, I'm just never going to see victory over this addiction. I just, I'm never going to actually see what, you know, I I dream. I've kind of let my dreams for my life go a long time ago and just embraced reality. You know, maybe actually it's fine to let your dreams go. Because your king has dreams for your life that are far bigger than you can even fathom. Embrace his dreams for your life and walk towards those dreams holding the hand of your father like a little child. Have you maybe entered into, in in your family, have you stopped dreaming for your family? Maybe as you're walking into this next season and maybe you lost dreams for what God can do in your marriage. Do you know who's on the throne? Expand your dreams to match that reality. What can he do for your marriage? Parents, have you lost, stop dreaming for what he can do for your children? You say, oh, my children are, are old and grown, or my grandchildren, I don't have access, or my, my, my children, they're with the, my ex. I, I, I just, I don't know, you know, what access I have to my children. I, I'm just, you know, I, I just can do my best that I can, but I have low expectations. Expand your dreams to the reality that Jesus is king. Pray for them. Run after them. Hope for them. Expect for them. Based on the reality of what you think God can do in your family, don't you know that every single generation has been terrified of what it's like to release their children out into society, knowing that there's these, uh, these coiled, venomous serpents ready to just sink their fangs into our children? But do you know that King Jesus reigns? And so we can stand firm on that reality. Do you, do you, if you lost... Your dreams for the reconciliation God can bring in your family, maybe even as you sit across the table in the next few days from someone whose words are like venom in your life? Can you dream for what God can do in your family? How about your church? Do we have dreams that match a narrow view of reality or do we have such a a grasp of the reality of our king, King Jesus, sits on the throne that our dreams and our prayers and our expectation and and our visions match the reality of Jesus sitting on the throne? How about your city? Have you stopped dreaming for your city? Is your city too far gone? Or well, I, I mean, it's just, there's just so few people that know Jesus. There's just so much brokenness and corruption. There's just so much sin. I mean, I, what could really happen in our city? Have you, do you have dreams that expand to the reality of the fact that Jesus sits on the throne? How about your country? How narrow are your dreams for your country? You say, oh, it's just the country's too far gone. I mean, with every passing year, the country gets more polarized, more divided, more, more lost, just seemingly more, more chaotic. I mean, what could really happen with, with our country? Well, if the limit of your dreams is anchored to the reality of, of the hopes on a political system or a political party or a political agenda, then I understand why your dreams for your country are so narrow. But if your dreams are anchored to the reality that there is one king and he reigns over every nation and empire in history, then have dreams that match the reality that King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is on the throne. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe he sits on the throne? That's the reality that we anchor our dreams to. 
So what do we do? I mean, this is a promise. I mean, to what degree should we expect that kingdom here, the reign of King Jesus? Well, this is what Jesus told us to do. He commanded us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray this. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we pray for. Here's what we want to do as we're ending our our time of Bible study. I've got one more passage I want to read over you in closing. But before we do that, we just felt nudged from the Lord to just be obedient to what Jesus called us to do, what King Jesus told us to do and to pray. And so right here as we're beginning to wrap up our time together, we're going to just stop and pray and ask for his kingdom to come. And so can we just, um, can you bow your heads and just in unity, can we go before our king and bring our request to him for his kingdom? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are our king. Lord Jesus, every word that we utter is in your name. That beautiful, powerful, victorious name, the name of Jesus, the promised, ancient name, promised. And so Jesus, we come before you, and Lord, the first thing we bring before you is a request for our nation. You said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So would you see us as your church collectively in unison coming before you, King Jesus, and asking that you would heal our land? Lord, we do not put our our faith and our hope in anything other than you, King Jesus, you, the Prince of Peace. And it doesn't matter how broken. It doesn't matter how lost. It doesn't matter how corrupt. It doesn't matter how polluted. It doesn't matter how crooked. Nothing is too crooked for the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, to swoop in to make it right. And so we do not lose hope. We ask that you would do a work here in our nation. And as you promised to do, that it would start with a spiritual work that you would sweep through here and that there would be a knowledge of you, almighty God, that would sweep through this nation even as the oceans cover the, the surface of the earth, that a knowledge and worship and a fear of God would sweep over our nation, Holy Spirit. You've done it before. We know you can do it again. Would it sweep over our nation, Jesus? In the name of Jesus, we ask, bringing people back to you, bringing our leaders back to you, bringing our leaders that would heal and reconcile and unify this nation that you love and that we love. We know you can do it, King Jesus. We ask that you would. Jesus, we bring to you our city. We don't lose hope for our city. We know you see its lostness. We know you see its pain. We know you see its brokenness. We know you see the systemic Pieces that need to be restored, the social pieces that need to be healed, Lord, the spiritual pieces that need to be revived. And so we ask that you would ignite a movement here in our city, here in South Florida. Would you bring revival sweeping through this area, Jesus? 
we ask. Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you bring revival in the churches across South Florida? Would you mobilize the army that are the Christians here in South Florida, that you would put a revolution in their hearts to take into all of their spheres and that they would be agents of shalom throughout the entire city, that we would see a city revitalized. Lord, we have the childlike dream and vision that you can do it because it's anchored in the reality that you are the king. So we believe. Lord, I just pray over the families here represented. Father, I pray for the husband or the wife that's here today. Lord Jesus, that is just clinging to the last threads and shreds of hope for their marriage. King Jesus, you reign over that marriage. Please heal. May today be the turning point, please, of all of those marriages on the brink here in the sound of this prayer. Would you give them the faith to believe that you reign? Lord, I pray for every mother and every father, every stepmom, every stepdad, every grandparent that worries about their child, every prodigal, every sheep that's gone astray, Jesus you rule, you reign. Would you draw them to yourself? You are the shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. You are the father that scans the horizon for the prodigal. Would you bring that child back? Lord, would we see miracles in this season, miracles around the, the Christmas table, or miracles here at our Christmas services of children coming back, grandchildren coming back and, and spared and brought into the kingdom of heaven. Do that work, please. We believe you can. And Lord, I pray over every individual. Father, I believe there are here some today. Lord, that the war is happening in their bodies. They're facing illness and sickness. Diagnoses that have no, no possible way of healing. But that doesn't stop you, Jesus. You reign even over the particles and molecules of our body. We know that you can do that, Jesus. We know that you can heal. Would you, all of those in here that need healing, would you swell their faith that they could believe the King Jesus even reigns over their mortal bodies? And Lord, would you heal them even now, Holy Spirit, heal them even in the sound of our voice. We know that you are a miracle worker, God. So would you work that there? Lord, I pray for every person here who's struggling with the chains of emotional pain or the chains of addiction. You are the one that sets the captives free. We believe you can do that. And in faith, we ask that you would work, Holy Spirit, in their lives. May today be the day of victory for them. We believe you can do that, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we bring all of these requests, not in our own words, not in our own strength, not in our own fervor, not in our own righteousness, but we bring it only in the name of the one promised from of old, the name that is above every name, the name that saves, the name that reigns, the name, the powerful name of Jesus. We bring all of this before you. And all of God's church said, amen. As we close our study time, I want to read a passage over you today. Christian, I want to remind you how the story ends. When the day when Jesus returns and he finishes the job of establishing his kingdom one day, this is how the story ends, how your story ends. Revelation 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's the end of the story. That's the end of your story. And that's what we await. His kingdom in all its fullness that will be established one day. In the meantime, we have our marching orders to be agents of shalom here in our city and in our world. Just a moment ago, we prayed together. But now might be your opportunity for you to say a prayer before God. Because some of you are here and the step that you need to take is making the Christmas king, making the king of all the universe, making Jesus your king. And letting him reconcile you to God by the blood of his cross. He paid for your sins. He offered you forgiveness. And I want to give you an opportunity to find salvation today by the work that he did. Make him your king. Can we take a moment and just bow our heads and close our eyes? Church, would you just close your eyes? If you're sitting, watching online, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Is today your day to make Jesus your king? Please. What a great moment to do that. I want to bring you to a point of decision and I want to invite you to take a bold step and make Jesus your king. And so if you want to pray, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you would like to do that with no one looking around, with everyone's eyes closed, heads bowed, if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, if you want to make him your king, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to slip your hand up in the air as a statement that that's me. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Just slip your hand in the air and put it back down and say, I'm making Jesus my king for the first time. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else say, this is my moment. I'm making Jesus my king. I'm finding salvation today. Just put your hand in the air and put it back down. It's between you and God. For those of you who want to pray that prayer, let me lead you in this. Just make these words your words. Just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me. I know that you are victorious on my behalf. You are reconciling me to God. I have forgiveness because of you. I make you my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.